I feel like we have a significant number of people who are miserable in their jobs, but stay in them because of healthcare. They're like, I don't have any other option. Like, what do I matter to do? Um, there was a, a, st- a report that came out a couple of years ago that was like 4 million people would do something entrepreneurial, but are sticking with their jobs because of healthcare. And I was like, man, that's un-American. Um, and so it's, it's, it's the, I think they call it, you know, the, the healthcare handcuffs or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like they're handcuffed to their job because of healthcare. And it's just, it's not right. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Andy Schoonover. Andy is co-founder and CEO of CrowdHealth, a community-based means of paying for healthcare. CrowdHealth is one of those ideas that, much like Bitcoin, takes a couple touch points before realizing its potential. For me, it was hearing CrowdHealth's members' willingness to pay for others' medical bills and the support that they showed for people in their community. Of course, one of those communities is Bitcoin-focused. This was a fascinating conversation all the way through, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this episode with Andy Schoonover. Well, Andy Schoonover, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. should be fun. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's uh, having you on the show is admittedly uh, a bit of a selfish desire because I'm not only interested in, in what you're doing at, at CrowdHealth, but obviously within the, the healthcare industry, uh, it's a bit more of a, a personal interest than necessarily relating to the overall theme of the podcast. That being said, if there's anything that uh, hangs over the head of, of center left voters, it's um, it's healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're doing here at CrowdHealth uh, certainly is exciting. And I, I told John the other day when I when I spoke to him a few weeks ago, your head of business development, that I don't get excited about healthcare startups very often. To me, they a lot of them are are, are fluff. And what you're doing um, got me excited for the first time in a long while. And so I'm I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to get into it and and hear how not only the the Bitcoin community can help crowd health, but um, it sounds like a lot of, a lot of other uh, communities out there will find benefit in what you're doing. So, so please tell us how CrowdHealth started. What was the impetus by which you said, I've got to be, do something about this whole uh, insurance industry within the United States? Yeah, first, I'm just, you know, excited to be on your your show. I I, uh, I love how this and Bitcoin specifically can, you know, span across, you know, multiple different kind of political backgrounds, whether it be, you know, clearly there's a a libertarian influence within Bitcoin, a, you know, met a lot of conservatives and a lot of progressives as well in in kind of the Bitcoin community. And so it's kind of fun that this is something that we can all kind of rally around. Um, There aren't a lot of those things, you know, nowadays where, you know, the media wants to like, you know, wedge, wedge, you know, put stick a wedge in between people. Um, It's, it's great to be on. So thanks again for having me. Um, you know, I I uh, I, I started Crowd Health just kind of a little bit of a background. I've been in healthcare for a while, so almost twenty years. Um, had a company that I ran that was basically doing um, remote patient monitoring. So we were monitoring blood pressures and blood sugars and weights and things like that for folks with um, all kinds of, of of chronic conditions out of their homes to keep them from going into the hospital. So it was it was primarily uh, our average customer was like eighty two or something like that. You know, they had Two, two or three comorbidities and it was, it was a bit of a mess. And I was like, man, like, how do we, how do we, you know, be, um, proactive about this as opposed to reactive about this? Like, how do we keep people from getting these chronic diseases as opposed to now reacting to people who have chronic diseases? And so, um, I, I, I ran that company for about seven years, sold it. And, you know, as such, I, I didn't have health insurance because most of people have, you know, get their health insurance through through their um, employer. And my Cobra was like ridiculously expensive. Um, I think it was like two grand a month or something like that. And I was like, man, I got to do something else. And so I went into healthcare.gov, got a plan. It was, I think, $1,200 a month. And um, for me, my wife and my two girls. And I kind of joke, it was like, it worked until I had to use it. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and and uh, so my my little one, um, who was one at the time, had had recurring ear infections, and so we went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, who said, "Hey, you know, she's got a perforated eardrum." 
And so she's got to get that fixed. And so we went to the local hospital, got it fixed. It was a 15 minute procedure. I think my wife and my daughter were in the hospital for like 45 minutes total. It's like the quickest in and out of the hospital ever. Right. Get the bill. And it was $8,000. And I'm just like, wow, like this is incredible that, you know, this can be an $8,000 bill. Right. Um, and I was like, hey, but this is what health insurance is for. Like, this is the whole point of health insurance. And so uh, little did I know a couple weeks later, I was going to get a something in the mail from my health insurance provider that was like, this is uh, medically unnecessary. And so we aren't going to pay it. And I went through like two rounds of this you know, resolution process that they have. And even though my ear, nose, and throat doctor delayed his vacation by a day to do this because he was so concerned about my daughter's long-term hearing. They still found it to be medically unnecessary. So I had to stroke an $8,000 check to the local hospital. And I was like, man, like something is wrong here. You know, something is wrong. And, you know, I've been super fortunate. I could pay that. But like the vast majority of Americans, I don't know what the number is, but 95% of Americans probably don't have $8,000 in their bank account to pay that. Um, and, you know, as I did more research, what I found is like 250000 families go bankrupt each year, even though they have health insurance as a result of a health event. So these are people that have health insurance, have a health event, they can't pay the deductible, or it gets uh, declined, the health insurance plan declines it, and they go into bankruptcy. Like, that is a broken system, you know? And so I was like, man, we got to do something different about this. And so um over kind of a two-year period, I've built some tools um, to allow my family to operate outside of health insurance, you know, in a viable way. And um, that kind of culminated into Crowd Health, which we started uh, the beginning of last year. So we've kind of almost two years into this, and it's just been super successful. So happy to talk more about, like, the details of how we do that. But that's that we, I came about, you know, so, like, a lot of these entrepreneurial, like, startups uh begin as a result of some kind of hardship <laughs> where somebody's like somebody's got to fix this like let's let's give it a shot so um that's what we did so where who's your team that that core team who are the people that you're bouncing this idea off of and, and where did that idea come from was there a light bulb moment or some other model similar to, to crowd health that that you eventually thought could be applied to medical payments well, I kind of broke it down and in, in, into kind of two buckets. One is like, what about the little stuff? Like, how do I get the little stuff paid for? Like just the, the primary care visit, the OBGYN visit, you know, those types of things. Um, and that one was, was pretty easy because those aren't that expensive. You know, if you actually go in and say, hey, I'm a, I want to pay in cash, you know, will you give me a discount? Those are super easy, right? Um and there's also uh, these programs out there where you can see somebody virtually for even less expensive. <laughs> and and so there's there's a lot of services out there that are easy for the little stuff. It was the big stuff that I had questions about. Like, if I tore my ACL, like, how would I pay that, you know, viably? Um, and so I actually started looking at some of these crowdfunding sites, you know, like GoFundMe. Um, it's like, okay, so GoFundMe does this. Like, how do they do this, right? And then the question is like, okay, they do really, really well when it's a big event that it tugs at the heart. There's a mo an emotional component, but how do you do this for like an ACL tear? Mm -hmm. um, then I started thinking about like, okay, you know, other industries use like reputation scores and quality scores and things like that to determine who um, I do business with. And so I, I started kind of merging some of these ideas together and I've got a quirky brain maybe. Um, but it's like, what if I do a crowdfunding where I have a dedicated group of people that were willing to crowdfund events for each other and they could do that voluntarily, just like, you know, GoFundMe. But there is a record that basically says, hey, I've been super generous to people or I have been a Scrooge to people, which then incentivizes people to be more generous and then enables a more efficient crowdfunding mechanism to allow these big bills to get to get paid. Um, so I took, you know, the GoFundMe's of the world and said, is there a way that I could make this worth a little bit more of a dedicated group as opposed to like throwing it out on Facebook and hoping people respond? So that that's kind of the model that I I used and 
you know, we've we've used that now in something like twelve or thirteen hundred bills, and and it's worked. It's worked really, really well for you know everything from a fifty dollar pediatric visit to a I think one hundred and fifty seven thousand dollar you know brain hemorrhage. Um, so it's it's worked really well. Well, I look forward to getting into the details of yeah, sure. of how that all works from the the community side and the kind of the behavior uh, element of it. But first, high level, tell us about Crowd Health specifically and 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 how it works for the the customers. Yeah, sure. So you know, again, it's I'm trying to build tools to allow people to operate outside of health insurance, and so this is not health insurance. We are, as I as I like to say, and I know this is a bit contrarian, um, we are delightfully uninsured. Um, and so I have been delightfully uninsured for the last, I think it's been two and a half years or so, um, and have you know been able to to pay my bills through kind of some of the tools that we built. But you know, the specifics of this is instead of sending your money to, or the system now is, you send a health, you know, your insurance premium to a health insurance company. Right, they hold it in this big pool of of capital. Um, they invest this pool of capital. They get interest off it. They get you know revenue off of it. They take that money that's theirs. Um, but you know that pool of capital, because of inflation, is the value of that is decreasing. So it's a it's kind of a melting asset. Um, and so what I was thinking about doing is like, hey, you know, if if when a crowd health member starts with us, we open up an account for them. They put money into an account. That account is theirs. So instead of get, sending it to an insurance plan, you put it in your own account. That account um, balance accumulates over time. And then when Mark has a health event, let's just say you break your arm, right? And it's five thousand dollars. Then Mark will be, you know, responsible for that first five hundred. And then Crowd Health will go and crowdfund that remaining forty-five hundred. And so I'm going to go to forty-five people, and I'm going to ask each one for a hundred bucks out of that they can use out of that account that they've set up and if they say yes then it goes from their account to mark's account and then once i get 45 people to say yes then um you know mark has enough money to pay for his his broken arm um and that allows mark to pay for that broken arm in cash which is really a key component to this because doctors are willing to give 30 40 50 60 percent discounts if you pay them in cash at the point of care, as opposed to them having to go through the expense of billing health insurance, which if approved, they don't get the money for 60, 90, 120 days. So that's a key component that makes this significantly less expensive is, you know, docs are willing to negotiate if you pay them in cash. And so each customer is paying, correct me if I'm wrong, $175 uh, a month, and that goes into your essentially your your account that you can mm-hmm. use to help pay other people's bills. And then, if you have one, you incur that five hundred dollars um, up front. Mm-hmm. If it's if assuming it's a bill greater than five hundred dollars, correct. Um, interesting. How often do uh, cl- customers get asked to pay a bill? Is it like every week, every month? Yeah, it's about once a month. Really? I think we're right now we're averaging about once every six weeks. Okay, and so that you, you do this within a a community, correct? Mm-hmm. So you you have a Bitcoin community that's approximately a thousand people, or that's the top level, and then you also yeah. have like a fitness community. Is that correct? Yeah, we have a we have kind of three communities. Um, we have a kind of the legacy community, which is the ones that kind of started with crowd health and have been one of us since the beginning. We've got a Bitcoin community, which is just Bitcoiners. And we're now starting a fitness professional community where it'll be just fitness professionals. Um, and so those people are all sharing within their, their communities. And, and the reason that we're doing this is because I do think there's a behavioral component of this where, you know, if, if. I'm, I have health insurance, and, and most of us, I think, think that we're, we're getting kind of screwed by health insurance. Um, and therefore, if I have a health event, I'm actually going to try to extract as much value out of that system as possible, right? Which kind of creates a death spiral for for the insurance companies. They have to raise their rates big time, right? And so, if I'm actually thinking about um, my community, like I don't want to screw people in my community, right? Especially, you know, if they're Bitcoiners, like. I don't want you have to sell your Bitcoin. Like I, I, I want our community to be a really healthy community. And so there's a behavioral component of this 
within the affinity group that I think is is really really you know important. And I'll, I'll give you like a quick perfect example, and this is actually from me. You know, like I'm the CEO of Crowd Health. I should be acting in the best interest of the crowd, right? Um, and so I uh, I was I had to go get labs. So I, I went to my primary care doc who gave me an order for labs. Right, it's just a normal part of your annual checkup is to get labs. So um, he gave me the order and then I've got this place like a mile from my house where it's just like this walk up lab place um, where I could have gone. And so I priced it out and I was like something like 450 bucks to get these labs. And I was like, you know what? Like, it's just so easy. Like, why don't I just do this? I was like, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a member of crowd health. I don't want to screw the crowd. Like, let's just see what crowd health can do. So I, I sent my labs to my care advocate at Crowd Health, and she's like, "Oh well, there's a there's a lab that's just one more mile down that can do it for forty four dollars. Same lab, a tenth of the price, um, for a mile, right? So I went another mile down the road and did it at a at another lab for forty four bucks, and you know I I saved the the, the community you know four hundred dollars, right? Because I don't want to screw the community. If I was in health insurance, I just want to like, you know, I'm just going to go to the easiest, like right down the street, like easy, you know, but we, but we need to start thinking about how much this stuff actually costs and behave in a way that is uh, more community focused. And so I think this affinity group and it still happens, right? Like we got bad actors in the community, like it's going to happen. Um, It's impossible to keep everybody out. But I think there is a general sense of like, I don't want to screw my own community. Um, and so it's kind of a cool, cool thing about what we're, what we're doing. I want you to describe some of the, the failures of the insurance industry uh, that mm-hmm. you believe are, are kind of the biggest players here in, in why you started crowd health. And you touched on one and that's price transparency. I, I work in the hospital. I, I don't have any outpatient uh, contact. And so I couldn't tell you what a, cost is for a particular lab. I don't know if if you came to ask me what a cash would be for paying for something, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you it within sure. working in the hospital. But what I can tell you is that we we have no idea what the cost of uh, certain tests, imaging tests, procedures are. And so I, I, I can't tell a single patient what those costs are going to be. And in turn, the behavior for physicians in the inpatient setting is nine times out of 10 going to be to default to ordering tests, ordering a lab. Even if you have a question mark, the slightest question mark about whether or not you, you should be for a patient. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, the whole, there's a you know large discussion around if, if that's appropriate or not with regard to overall care. But nonetheless, that from a cost perspective, that most certainly drives it up. And so, yeah. I would I would certainly believe that if there was more transparency in there, not only would physicians be, you know, asking themselves, is this truly necessary? And in turn, probably looking into that answer more, you know, looking up what is the evidence behind ordering this this lab or this procedure in this setting, doing that more often, but the patient would probably be able to have a say in that. So sure. getting back to my question, what are the the failures that you really see in the insurance industry that uh, that is driving what you're doing? Yeah, so let me touch on like what you just talked about for one second because I think there's there's kind of two components of this. Um, one is I I think the doc should have the tools to ensure that their patients are well, right? Or or the tools to assess to diagnose what the problem is. And I don't think there should be a limitation on what you can use. I think the problem comes with the cost of that lab or imaging or whatever ends up being. And and unfortunately, within the hospital system, the way that we're currently set up is if you get a lab or an imaging or whatever within the hospital system, it's usually 5 to 10x what it is outside the hospital system, right? And so if, you know, your lab or imaging was 10% of what it is, you know, it's actually being charged at within the hospital system, then you can use those tools in a much more kind of liberal way to ensure that our, our patients, you know, um, are, are safe. I'll give you one example. Um, we got an ER bill from one of our, our patients, uh, or one of our patients, one of our members. Um, and it was a, just a, a, a comprehensive metabolic panel, um, 
and the cost was 285 bucks for a comprehensive metabolic panel. And so a lot of people are like, oh, who cares? You know, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. Just down the street, it was it's five bucks, right? So within an ER setting, they're upcharging that by, and it probably costs two bucks, right? Like to, to actually do. Um, and so within an ER setting, they're 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 jacking up the price of that by 55 times. You know, and in any other setting, that would be unacceptable. And so what we do for our members is we go back to the hospital and says, this is unacceptable. You are price gouging our our member and you need to adjust that. You know, like if you have a hurricane in Florida and everybody goes up I-95 to get out of the out of the way of the hurricane, like it is illegal for these gas stations or these, you know, hotels or whatever to price gouge people in the case of an emergency. Yet if I have a healthcare emergency and I go into the ER, it's fair game for the hospital to charge basically whatever they want to charge, right? And so we are the member's advocate to say, no, you can't price gouge people. You have to give us a pr- fair price. And actually, there's a rule, there's a, a law, um, it's UCC 2-305 that says, um, if there's no pre-negotiated price, you have to find a, you have to negotiate a fair price after the fact. So, you know, the hospital, you know, said it was 250 bucks. We went back to them with an attorney and we said, hey, listen, you can't charge $250. That's not a fair price. And so the hospital brought down that price um, significantly. I think it was down to like 7 or $10 or something like that. So um, that's just a problem within the system that the consumers of healthcare are not actually the payers of the of healthcare, right? It's an insurance company that is supposed to be our agent to negotiate on our behalf um, to allow us to access care. Um, but that agent also has an incentive to actually see prices go up, not see prices go down. And so, you know, your listeners might be like, wait, hold on a second. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, insurance companies actually make more money if you're sick than if you're, um, healthy. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy thing. Um, and you know, there's a provision in Obamacare, what, 10, or 12 years ago, um, that's like insurance plans can only uh, benefit 15 or, or profit 15% of premiums. So, and from the outside looking in, that looks like a great idea, right? Like we don't want, you know, insurance plans to be making tons and tons of money on us. However, they can only make $150 on a thousand dollar premium, right? So how do they make $165? They have to raise their premiums from a thousand to eleven hundred dollars a month. So they actually have an incentive for prices to go up because they can then make more money. And so that's the perverse incentives that we have in our healthcare system um, that are are just, you know, crazy town um, to me. I mean the other thing too is, you know, health insurance plans you're supposed to be negotiating with doctors are oftentimes the owner of their doctor that doctor, like, so they are negotiating with themselves. Um, so they're on both sides of the negotiating table. United Healthcare is the largest owner of doctors, uh, you know, employer of doctors in our country, um, which is just crazy to me. Um, so there's just so many perverse incentives within the, within the system that, um, you know, I, I think we just, we need a new system. Absolutely. And, and I think you've described on a different podcast, an example, you know, the the private practice is a is a dying breed, yeah. You know, because the hospital systems are are sucking up all, all these community based hospitals as well as clinics into uh, the these huge health system conglomerates uh, within Minnesota. Here we've got Mayo uh, among others that are doing exactly that. How have you seen that play out with regard to uh, pricing and insurance for the individual? Yeah, the thing that we're that is happening in the industry. It's not just what we're seeing. It's like, um, you know, if you think about the negotiating leverage that United Healthcare. So I'll give you one example. We're in Austin. We have two big health systems here, Ascension and St. David's. So United comes in and says, hey, I want to negotiate with you. And they and, you know, Ascension and St. David's is like, no, I'm not going to negotiate with you because you need me. You have to have me to have a presence in Austin, Texas. So I'm not going to negotiate. And so United doesn't have a whole lot of new negotiating power. United comes into a single dock and says, I'm going to negotiate with you. And that single dock may be like 30 or 40 percent of their patients are coming from United Healthcare. So United has an incredible amount of power to negotiate that down. So what what the hospital systems are doing is saying, hey, doc, 
you're getting a really low, you know, payment from United Healthcare. Um, let me buy your practice. I will roll you into the hospital system. And now, you know, that same practice can jack up their rates because the hospital system has a way better, you know, rate than the independent individual doctor. And so the all the rates in the market go up as these hospital systems consolidate, right? And so, you know, that's what we're, we're telling our members is like, look, you know, call us if you're looking for a doc because we want to give you to an independent doc um, that's not a part of the hospital system. Because if you're a part of the hospital system, you're going to pay way more for everything across the board, whether it be labs, imaging, primary care visits, whatever. And so we try to keep people into an independent um, doc. It's not always, you know, an option, but we try to as much as we can. And then you look at um, regulation, as you mentioned earlier, with Obamacare and limit, limiting uh, profits that the insurance companies can get. Um, like everything, the unintended consequences of that resulted in just them jacking up prices. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think your perspective, much like Bitcoin, is coming at it from, well, we'll change things from outside the system rather than trying to tweak these regulations that, you know, quite frankly, there's always going to be a workaround, you know, and nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10, it's going to, that workaround is going to be going to result in increased costs for uh, the end user. And in this case, uh, the patients. In in addition, I'm kind of curious to know, you know, the, the, the history of, of insurance in the United States is, is a fascinating one. And it having started, basically to cover loss of wages has now morphed into this behemoth of, of covering everything that you can think of under the sun. I just went through the enrollment process. They asked me, you know, 20 different things that I, if I wanted to pay for to have insurance on a variety of different uh, coverage from, from legal to disability Mm -hmm. to, it's just like, what the hell is all of this stuff? <laughs> how did how, how did we get here? And and moreover, do you feel the employer based uh, insurance coverage system that we have is affecting small business growth, given the overhead that they're they're having to deal with? Yeah, you know, I the um, combining or coupling health insurance with with uh, employment. You know, started back in I think it was you know the fifties, um, and and now has been kind of codified in law here over the last you know decade or decade and a half or so. Um, and you know I, I think it's I think it's uh, unnatural um, for our employer to be our also our our healthcare provider. Um, I don't particularly want my my employer to be you know, in, in my, my health business yet they are, you know, legally, you know, in our, in our healthcare business. Um, and I think that these employers, while they do have a incentive to reduce costs, it's not their core business. You know, it's most of these companies are software companies or manufacturing companies or whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's something where they, they tried to offload this, uh, you know, onto insurance companies is, Hey, you, you take care of it. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, you know, I don't even want to think about it. And, and oftentimes they just get an, a rate increase and they're like, you know, whether if they're public, they go to their investors and they're like, there's nothing we can do. You know, um, if you're private, you just moan and groan and, and bitch about it. Um, and so, you know, these employers just don't have a whole lot of energy to, to, to fight this. And therefore there's no, there's no hand, you know, the invisible hand to push down these, these prices because these employers just don't, they don't want to deal with it. Um, and so it's, I think it's a really, it's a real problem. And, and, and in fact, it's so much, it, it's, I, I believe it's so big of a problem that we don't do any employers. Like we, we firmly stand on the ground that your health insurance and your employment should be separate from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually have people that will go back to their employer and say, hey, listen, I know you're going to spend, you know, $5,000 on me or whatever it is this year. It's more like seven, probably. Um, so will you give me five, you know, as opposed to me, if I opt out, will you give me five so I can go and do whatever I want with my health care? And so there's there's a there's a tax friction there because that's income. Um, but we've had a really decent chunk of people actually do that. 
and and now they get five grand. We're 175 bucks a month, so it's just let's say two grand, right? And so there, you know, is, is some tax friction there, and so they still come out, you know, a grand ahead um, by having you know a better option for them, lower you know deductibles, things like that. Um, so we've 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 been pretty successful, and those people go into to HR and doing that. So it's it's interesting. One other quick component of this is. I feel like we have a significant number of people who are miserable in their jobs, but stay in them because of healthcare. They're like, I don't have any other option. Like, what do I matter to do? Um, there was a, a, st- a report that came out a couple of years ago. There's like 4 million people would do something entrepreneurial, but are sticking with their jobs because of healthcare. And I was like, man, that's un-American. Um, and so it's, 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 the, I think they call it, you know, the, the healthcare handcuffs or something like that. You know, it's like they're handcuffed to their job because of healthcare. And it's just, it's not right. Yeah. And imagine, I can imagine that their productivity at whatever job this is, is not, is not ideal. Right. And so what's the drag on the the company itself when you, somebody, when you don't have somebody who's interested in performing that they're there just for uh, these insurance handcuffs? Yeah, totally. So much like Bitcoin, you know, this leap from, Something that we are familiar with, uh, stocks, bonds, real estate, et cetera, that we've grown up with uh, for the past half century. And jumping to Bitcoin is a big leap. You are doing the same with something that is comfortable. I sign up for my uh, Blue Cross, uh, Blue Shield plan, and that's that. You're asking me to do something completely different that's that's really never mm-hmm. been done before. And there's the fear in that and in, in that unknown. Sure. I'm curious to know what you're doing as a company to help uh, minimize that fear, minimize that transition for people to make to make that leap. Yeah, I can't say that we've gotten it perfect. Um, you know, it's it's our number one barrier is people saying, um, you know, it's it's like the devil I know versus the devil I don't. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know health insurance sucks, um, and so. But are you all like viable? Like, is this a viable way of of paying for my health care? And um, the other thing is nobody wants to be like the first one. Like, you know, like it's hard to be the first person in something brand new. So, you know, thank you, the guy from Houston, who is our first customer. Um, <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have thousands of people now as a part of this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to communicate two things. One is you think your health insurance is riskless, but it's actually very risky from my perspective, you know, uh, healthcare.gov, um, the Kaiser family foundation came out with something a couple months ago and it says 18% or almost one in five claims are denied. Um, so you have a one in five chance of getting an $8,000 claim. Like I did, you know, denied and I had, I had to pay it out of my pocket. Um, and so that seems pretty risky to me, you know, a one out of five chance. So that's that's one is health insurance plans are are very risky from my perspective. The second is is why is Crowd Health able to do this at such a lower cost than than health insurance? And I we give out a bunch of data that says like, look, you know, this two hundred and fifty dollar lab that your health insurance plan paid for in the hospital, we got down to ten bucks. This twenty two thousand dollar ACL tear, we got down to twelve thousand dollars. The eighty six thousand dollar heart oblation in Wisconsin. We got down to $22,000. And so we give them, you know, example after example of how the health insurance plan, because they don't pay attention to prices all that much, would pay this, we're paying this, right? And so th- we are being super effective in getting these these prices down. Um, and then there's a kind of a third component, which is our people who are joining us are actually really like self-selecting um, in are healthy, like they're younger. Um, they're less risk averse, right? So they're, they're the, the younger ones tend to be less risk averse. Um, and then they tend to be healthier. And so our, our average age of our customers, like 36, the BMI is somewhere between four and five points lower than the national average. Um, you know, and they're just a healthy population. And so when you're in an insurance, you know, group, right? Like you got all kinds of stuff going on in there. Um, in our group, we got a bunch of, 30 year olds um, who, yes, do have active injuries, who, yes, go down the the black diamond ski slopes probably more often than the, you know, the 80 year old woman 
And so we have some of those things, but those active injuries are significantly less expensive than the, the, you know, the, the chronic conditions and, or the, the, um, the, the, the cancers and illnesses and things like that, that you get typically get with like the Medicare population and, and those folks who are older. So it's, it's been hard. It's, you know, I, I kind of drug that explanation on, so I apologize for that, but it, I, I probably think that's an indicator, like this is a hard thing to do. Like this is not easy to get people to behave, change their behavior, especially around their health, which people, you know, think are, is so precious, especially when, you know, it's, it's so expensive. Um, so, you know, it's in, one interesting point here is if if healthcare wasn't so expensive, we wouldn't have the need for health insurance plans. <laughs> right. Right. Like if you think about that for a minute, right, like health insurance plans want healthcare to be expensive because they are then needed. Um, if it wasn't that expensive, they wouldn't be needed. Um, and so, you know, I just think that's kind of an interesting incentive for, you know, health insurance. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a messaging thing that we're still trying to trying to figure out to be totally honest with you well as a, a historical side note it's it's interesting the the annual physical exam that's um recommended um even though it's not recommended anymore because it's not found to be beneficial for people without uh, uh chronic diseases is actually you know more more of a waste but that actually started uh in the early part of the 20th century because the insurance companies realized that at the time, if they had people going to their doctor for an annual exam at that time could help stave off chronic conditions, disease, and be treated in a turn, which meant the person's going to live longer, which means they're going to be paying more premiums. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the annual physical exam came about because of that and has, and has existed uh, since then as a result of that. And eventually it got covered and paid. Initially, physicians were reluctant to do it because they weren't getting necessarily paid for it. But once that got wrapped into uh, insurance coverage and insurance companies paying for it, then uh, it became kind of this uh, routine thing to do, even though now uh, we found out that it's not actually uh, as beneficial as it uh, we thought it was uh, at one mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I think one of the big differentiators that you have uh, at CrowdHealth are these um, care advocates. Tell us more about how that works. Yeah, you know, I don't know about your insurance experiences, but mine have been frustrating because I try to call into, you know, whoever my insurance provider is and it changes every year, right? Like you just go to the, the cheapest one. Um, and uh, I call in, I talk to somebody on the phone and I tell them my problems. And, you know, in some of these cases, they're like, you know, intimate health problems. Um, and I'm talking to somebody I don't know who ends up transferring me to somebody else I don't know, or I have to tell them the same thing and they, they don't figure it out nine times out of 10. So I got to call back. It's just like, um, it is such a pain point. And so what I wanted to do, and this, you know, costs more on our end, but we think it's worthwhile is like have somebody internally who will advocate for you, who, you know, who they are, because you've talked to them. So you're, you're, you're talking to the same person, every single time that you you call in. So instead of calling in and waiting online, what you do is you schedule a time with this person, you know, a 15 or 30 or 45 minute chunk of time in advance. So you know that that person's going to be there. They're, you're going to be able to talk to them and they know who you are. Um, and so, you know, and if you have a health event, then you can call them and say, Jasmine, who's one of our care advocates. Um, you know, I, I, was playing pickleball last night and I think I did something to my knee. Like, what should I do? And Jasmine says, Oh man, we've got this great orthopedist in, in Austin, you know, you should go see him, you know, and, you know, let us help you with that. And so, you know, great. I don't, she doesn't have to do anything. And the, she goes to the orthopedist and the orthopedist says, yeah, it looks like you tore your ACL, right? It's, you know, the call back Jasmine, Jasmine, I tore my ACL, like, oh my gosh. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like all these people are super empathetic. Right. And it's like, okay, well, let's find you an orthopedic surgeon to do this. Um, and so we find them a really great orthopedic surgeon in, in Austin to do this at a really great rate because we're paying in cash. Our member is paying in cash. And so our care advocate can walk alongside you. And so you don't feel lonely in this super complex system that, you know, even doctors don't understand all, all the time, right? Like, I have no idea what to do next. And so we've got these people who are trained on this stuff that can walk you through so you don't feel 
like you're you're lost out in the middle of nowhere and oftentimes like i said one of the most like kind of needy times of your life right like i need somebody to help me walk through this because something is going on with me and um it's not this cold insurance company it's like a person that you know that will empathize and will help you so we think it's a great component um and we actually think it's so great that we require you to have a 15-minute conversation with our care advocate before you join um to get to know them and make sure that you're on board with this um, and it also allows us to significantly lower cost, right? So if you go to whatever orthopedic surgeon in Austin, they could charge you whatever they want. And, you know, there's no kind of, um, limit on that. Um, and if they go through us, then we actually know how to negotiate that beforehand and actually get a way better price than if you were to go and do it on your own. So that, that, uh, that care advocate allows us to kind of facilitate a really good price for our, for our end users. So it's, it's a really cool kind of part of the product, uh, our product. And, and a lot of time you can text them if you want to. And if you text them, they'll get, you know, back to you as soon as they can, or you can call them or there's a, a you know, multiple different ways that you can co- get in contact. Because some people like to have the face-to-face video chat and some people just like to text, you know? Um, and like I said, we have most people in our mid thirties. It's a text heavy type of, of group. Um, and I'm in 43. I like to text. I text you know, Jasmine, who's my care advocate, my doctor order, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and she got me set up, you know, like that with a lab. Um, it was just super easy. I didn't have to worry about it. Before we get into the Bitcoin side of things, uh, tell me what you think are the limitations to the, the crowd health, health model and who may not be the ideal customer for you at this time? Yeah, so there's there's kind of two limitations that we put on people. Um, you know, if if you are obese, then um, we don't allow you into the community. Um, you know, if you get down to a, a reasonable weight, then you can. So right, right, or starting uh, uh, January first, it's two sixty if you're a male and two twenty if you're a female. Um, and if there are people that are like you know have significant um, you know like muscle mass, um, then we we can make some exceptions around that. But that's generally what that is. And then you know if you're a smoker, then you're not not allowed into the community either. I mean, and ultimately what this is is saying like, look, we, we want people who, you know, take care of themselves and take personal responsibility for their their bodies. And, um, you know, if you, you smoke, your, you know, uh, costs are, you know, twice as much as somebody who doesn't smoke. If you're a beast, their costs are twice as much. And so those people just aren't, you know, good, good fits for us. Um, and so those are the, a couple of limitations that we have if you have a, a condition of some kind, like a pre-existing condition, you know, all we ask is you own your own pre-existing condition for a couple of years before the community will 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 help you with that. So it doesn't work great for you know some of some of these chronic conditions, and and we want to change that. Like we we're trying to build an infrastructure right now that will allow us to you know in the next twelve to eighteen months you know take on some of the, those those chronic conditions. It's just right now we can't because as you can imagine, like having 2000 diabetics in our group, like really doesn't go well with, with the way that we do things, but we, our vision is to, to, to bend the cost curve and it is to, to take some of those folks on in, into our community. We just can't quite do it yet because we don't have the scale or the infrastructure to do it. But I could imagine a time when crowd health has a large enough pool of, uh, these healthier individuals whereby you know you're you're a much more viable startup at some point in the in the near future that communities for individuals with say diabetes or being overweight and obese you put that into a model such as crowd health where you have this community engagement and 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 shared responsibility for cost and i bet you'd find that you would get better outcomes from those community members than you they otherwise would get in the system that we're in now. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I'm fired up about it. You know, I'm, I'm fired up about looking, taking some of these folks with type two diabetes and be like, I think you can, you can cure this. I think you can cure your type two diabetes with, with the right, you know, nutritional, you know, component and things like that. And, and that's something I think crowd health will be able to do, you know, in the, the near future to help people, you know, with some of these chronic conditions really, you know, improve their lives. I mean, like, look, I want people to thrive, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm candidly, I made a bunch of money in my last gig. Like I could be on the lake fishing, which is my passion. Um, but like my, my, 
I, I truly believe like I, I do this because it's missional for me and I want to see these people thrive. Like I want to see families not have to go into bankruptcy because of, of health insurance. You know, I want to see these people who feel like they've been left out because they're, you know, obese or have diabetes or whatever it ends up being because they don't, they don't know what to do. Like they don't know what to do next. And so my, my heart is for some of these people who just don't have the education candidly to go and, and take that next step because they've been lost in this big insurance system that kind of actually incentivizes them to have diabetes or incentivizes them to be obese, you know, and, and it's like, man, we can do better. We can do better than this. And I think these people just need to be a part of something bigger. I mean, don't we always, don't we all want to be a part of something bigger, right? Like that's just human nature. And if I can introduce them into something like, Hey, be a part of something bigger, we can actually help you thrive. Like, man, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I truly want to, to, to do that for some of these folks. Um, and that's my heart to do that for some of these folks. It's just, we need a little bit more time to build kind of the infrastructure to be able to do it. Yeah, when you when you're stuck in a system that has zero advocacy, and you move to uh, a community where there is, I think you can really see a lot of great things happen. And so, I your your passion and drive for that is is certainly palpable. And I commend you for for doing it. I'm, I'm super excited for for what you guys have going on. Let's get on to the to Bitcoin before rounding things out. Sure. Here. How is Bitcoin incorporated into into crowd health? Yeah. So I I, I built this system on kind of a fiat system um and then had uh had a conversation with with uh jimmy song who i think many of your listeners who've been in the bitcoin community know jimmy he lives here in austin and was having lunch with him and he's like man you know the problem with health insurance is again this kind of big pool of capital that's melting as you know michael saylor calls it right uh, melting ice cube so what if you had, um, you know, Bitcoin as a, a component of this where, you know, there's a, a bit more of a, a a stable asset that is is being, you know, in the background here. And then, you know, people can actually own that in a decentralized way. So instead of having it in one big pool, like let people own their own, you know, uh, account. And we use Swan right now. So, you know, for every hundred dollars you put into your account, seventy-five dollars of that goes into the Swan, your Swan account, and it gets held in Bitcoin. And then, you know, if that Bitcoin goes up, you know, what is it at eighteen thousand or something like that today? It's hard with the volatility over the last couple of days to know exactly where it is. Um, you know, if it's eighteen and, and it goes to two hundred and fifty, like most of us think it will, then you get all the upside of that. Um, and so, if you leave Crowd Health. You get all the Bitcoin that's in your Swan account. You get all the cash that's in your Fiat account. Like that's all of your money. You get all the upside of that. Um, and you know, look if it goes down, you also have the responsibility of of you know if I come and crowdfund something and it's a hundred bucks and you don't have a hundred bucks in your account, then you know you have a decision to make. Like you can put more Fiat into your account so that you can do that a hundred dollars, or you can say no to the crowd you know the crowdfunding event, which you know, impacts your kind of reputation score within the community. And so you have a decision to make. And I think most Bitcoiners understand that that's just, you know, a reality that it could could go up a lot and it could go down a lot. And that's that's OK. But they love the fact that instead of sending it to a health insurance plan and it disappears, like you're actually stacking sats while also helping to pay for for healthcare. Like that's a really cool component of this that I think the Bitcoiners, you know, really like. And I was just looking at stats this morning is like, Two thirds of our members um, over the last week—I just kind of looked at it for the last week—are are Bitcoiners, um, and so it's we have a big Bitcoin crew, you know, that is, you know, growing quickly, um, and so we're, we're we're fired up about that. You know, the other component of this is all the Bitcoiners, as we mentioned earlier, are in an affinity group, so they're sharing expenses with each other, um, and from my you know, just, you know, quick look at Bitcoiners as, you know, I was in Bitcoin 22 in Miami and maybe it was a Bitcoin conference or maybe it was because it was Miami. I don't know. But like you're walking through the halls and it's like these people are healthier than the general population. Like there is a an additional set of personal responsibility people take for their health. They are generally more uh, healthy. And I'm seeing it in the stats. Like I'm saying the BMI is much lower, you know, those types of things. So it's just a cool community to be a part of. And, and I think that the incentives are more aligned to if you're a part of you know, the Bitcoiners. So it's, it's, a, it's a cool component of what we're doing, I think. Is it a, at all a part of the, the payments 
side of things or is it more? Not, not yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it because I, I want to start paying docs and Bitcoin who want, who want, who want Bitcoin. Like, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love to be able to, to do that. Um, and so we're actually working on the back end tech now to be able to, to allow people to, to do that. Um, in that case, you can hold all of your, your, your money in Bitcoin right now. It's 75% Bitcoin, 25% fiat. If we can actually pay in Bitcoin, then we can just put it all hundred percent into Bitcoin. You can just pay in, in Bitcoin. Um, and so we're working on that in the back end. Nice. You know, one of the, th- the cool components of this, by the way, is, uh, I, you're in the hospital, so you may not, you know, apply, but like a lot of these docs, right. Um, have to bill through an EMR. Um, and that EMR takes somewhere between six and 10%, depending on how big you are and volume and things like that. Like that is a, a wicked high transaction fee. You know, if I can pay you, you know, right now we're paying you in debit cards, you know, or credit cards or whatever. And so the, the, it's like a percent and a half to 2% transaction fee. If I could do that over lightning, it becomes pennies. Right. And so we can, strip another couple percent out of the system by just using lightning as our payment structure and you know two percent doesn't sound like a lot but take two percent of four trillion which is our you know healthcare system bill it's like that's a significant chunk of cash that we can rip out of the system by just the the processing it in lightning the other thing too is like i want widespread adoption of bitcoin and this is the biggest industry in the United States. If we can figure out a way to use Bitcoin in payment for, you know, a four trillion dollar industry, I think that goes a long way of, you know, in in more people adopting adopting Bitcoin, um, which is what I think most of us want. Absolutely, that's fascinating. I like that. It, I had asked my employer a couple of years ago if I could get paid in uh, a chunk of my salary in Bitcoin, and they just laughed at me. They looked at you like you're a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, why would you want that? Why would you want that? Uh, anyway, so I'm curious to know what other, aside from the fitness industry, what other communities are, are you hoping to uh, branch into in the coming years? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we got fitness, we got Bitcoin. We're looking at real estate agents, um, which is another one where, you know, it's, it's anywhere where we have a density of 1099s. Um, or or solopreneurs or gig workers or those types of of folks where, you know, those are the folks that struggle with where to get where to get healthcare. Um, and so we think that's going to be a really great market. You know, the other thing that we're looking at too is small employers um, who you know right now look at the healthcare system. It's like, man, I wish I could help help my people with with health insurance, but I can't because it's so expensive. And so we're going to them and say, hey, listen, you don't have to pay them. You don't have to get their health insurance. Like give them, you know, uh, a stipend or an increase in salary or something, and then let them go figure out what their, their health health care looks like. And by the way, we're happy to present, you know, crowd health as an option, which is, you know, really low cost compared to the alternatives out there. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the path. And then, you know, it's, we're, you know, two years in, so we're still, I, I still consider us a startup, you know, we're still learning as to, you know, where this message resonates. But interestingly, our biggest group of people right now, other than Bitcoiners, are uh, are our healthcare professionals. Uh, you know, physicians and and nurses. We 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 ask when you sign up, like, what are you? Like, are you a business owner? Are you a real estate agent? Are you whatever? Um, and one of them is is a doctor slash nurse. I don't know if it's doctors or nurses, but for some reason, we have a really large component of of docs. Um, and a really quick story if I have time, but like we had this member in, uh, in Tennessee, uh, 19 year old got her hand caught in the prop of a boat, um, severed four of her fingers. Right. And this is, this is a big expense as you can probably imagine. Um, so we went, we crowdfunded it. Um, and we had people as like, is this is such a cool component of like our community. We had people when we, we said this, we was like, 19 year old Tennessee, she got her, you know, fingers chopped off by, you know, boat. People were like, Hey, I want to give her more. Like, can I help her more? You know? And I'm like blown away by like these people who are like out of just generosity. Right. Which is kind of a lost thing in our country. I feel like just like, I want to help this woman because I, I can't imagine we had a miscarriage a few weeks ago. It's like the same thing. It's like, man, like what can we do to help this member of our community? And it's like, you would never see that in in health insurance, right? Like health insurance has sucked the humanity out of healthcare. And so I'm like, man, if we can like 
bring back humanity to healthcare where you actually know where your dollars are going to help this 19-year-old in Tennessee to bring some tears to my eyes. She told her doc about crowd health and like this whole story. And the doc is like, I'm signing up. So now we have her doctor on crowd health, right? Which is like such a cool thing. And so I'm like, man, that's how healthcare should be. You know, like we actually should know like who we're helping. And I don't say it's whatever name is or whatever in in Tennessee, which is like a a 19 year old in Tennessee. But like we as humans can be like, man, like I want to help that other human who's going through a really hard thing. And the insurance company like wedges themselves in between us and our neighbors. And so we can't do that anymore. Right. Like hundreds of years ago, if our neighbor got hurt, right, we'd go and like plow their field for them because they can't plow their field. And if they can't plow their field, they're not going to be able to help their families. Right. And so it's like, that's what sucks about health insurance is like it it sucks the humanity out of out of healthcare, and that's why I'm doing this. It's just like we got to get that back, um, and let's take a swing at it. Um, it's it's a David versus Goliath kind of deal, but you know it's one of those where it's like let's let's somebody's got to take a swing at this. I think there's a an innate desire to to give to want to help, and we've created systems that prevent that, and clearly what you're doing at CrowdHealth uh, is incentivizing that, is showing that there is still humanity left uh, in, in what is arguably, not, it's not arguably, it's been a very challenging uh, few years. And to see people wanting to give in the manner that they have through CrowdHealth is inspiring. I think what you're doing is inspiring. And as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, I don't get excited about startups, health startups very often, but I'm, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of what you're doing. I'm proud of your mission. And I can't wait to see where it goes. And I look forward to becoming a, a member uh, in, in due time. <laughs> oh, we'd, we'd love for you to, uh, to to join us. And again, thanks thanks for taking the the time. And so sorry about some of my long winded answers, but you can kind of tell them this is my this is my passion is to to help folks. And um, like I said, we'll, we're going to take a swing at this. And there's big health insurance companies and regulators and all kinds of people who actually want us to fail. So we'll, we'll see how we do, but um, it's been a, a fun thing to see. Um, and we've got, you know, thousands of people to to agree to join us and we've got a little bit of scale now, which is making things easier and um, our processes are getting better and, and things like that. So it's been, it's been a fun journey. My last question, one that I ask every guest is what gives you hope, Andy? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it's it's I think it's the example that I gave you, right? That like in this time of turmoil, I mean, we're just literally right off. I don't know when this is airs, but like last night was when we, you know, got, you know, results on, you know, our last you know political election. And it's like, it's so dividing in our country. And it's just like, man, like if we can, if we can do something where it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a libertarian or socialist or whatever, like, can we find some humanity in people? who need our help, right? Like, can we find a humanity in somebody who is a woman from Tennessee who just got her fingers chopped off and needs help, right? Like, that's hope, I feel like. Like, if we can reinstill that into our country and look at people who just, like, have normal day-to-day problems and sometimes not normal day-to-day problems, like getting their fingers chopped off, um, as opposed to an R, a D, an I, a L, a whatever, right? Like, Man, I think there's there's hope there. So, you know, can we through, you know, healthcare kind of bring people together to say, hey, I don't care who you are or who you voted for, if you're going through a really hard time, I'm willing to step up and help. Like that to me gives hope. And maybe I'm totally naive, but you know, um naive people do crazy things that sometimes work. Um, so <laughs> so let's let's go for it. Um, and so, you know, anybody who's who's listening and wants to kind of join in that, like, again, it's kind of a missional thing for us. And um, we'd love for you to, to join up. And like I said, this is not this is not about making zeros for me. Uh, this is really being like, I want to change healthcare So our kids and our grandkids, not to be cliche, like have something that's like, I, th- I, I do believe we have the best doctors and the best technology on the planet. It's just like, how do we access them in a way? That doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or making 12 bucks an hour, but you can access, you know, really great healthcare. Like that's my, that's my hope. Love it. Thank you so much for your candor. Thank you so much for your, everything you shared with us today. Please tell the listeners where they can find you and, and crowd health. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I'm on, on all the social uh, platforms, you know, uh, Twitter is uh, join crowd health. Um, we put some, you know, kind of fun where we have a little bit more of a, a, a fun approach to our social media. You won't, it won't be your typical, you know, boring corporate social media platform. So um, same thing on Instagram and, and TikTok and, and Facebook join crowd health. Um, I'm Schoonover Andy um, on, on all of those platforms. So you can find me there. And then joincrowdhealth.com is our website. If you use the uh, code uh, Bitcoin, you'll be in our Bitcoin community and it's 99 bucks a month for six months, the first six months. That's so a great deal. Um, and you know, you'd be, you'd be a great, a part of a great crew of people too. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Progressive Bitcoiner. If you enjoyed the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. And don't forget, we have a website, theprogressivebitcoiner.com, where we have a lot of great content on Bitcoin and progressive issues. Thanks again for tuning in.